kids behind the bus time. From the NHRL studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Chris. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Lynx builder and mad catter driver, Calvin Eba. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player, Fem, and Pumping. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have three news items for you today. First up, registration is now open for NHRL's March Towards Qualification. March 18th event. This will be the first full competition of the year following a very successful January New Bots event. We can expect to see returning bots and former champions competing for golden dumpsters, cash prizes, and a chance to compete at the November finals. Next up, BattleBots launched its live event Destructathon on February 3rd. While we do not have an official review yet, we do have some reports from a Reddit user as well as several teams who've posted footage of the event online. Um, in the first event, Kraken fought Malice, Diablo fought Whiplash, Tazbot fought Chopper, Witch Doctor fought Hypershock, and in an exhibition match, Nightmare fought a literal slot machine. Not like a robot named slot machine, an actual Vegas slot machine, which is very NHRL, and I kind of love that. Uh, the big takeaways are that the bots did indeed hit very hard and caused quite a bit of damage, with Diablo roofing the weapon on Whiplash and taking out a light in the arena. It seems like people are very excited about the event. It seems like it's getting better with every production and everybody seems to be very pleased, which I think is great. Real quick, uh, Kyle, I just, I had, um, so reading the accounts of the back-to-back days of the Destructathon airing, it sounded like for both the two days in a row for kickoff, the same bots fought uh, for both nights in a row. Um, where like, like a few folks on Reddit had said, yeah, we went to the first night, we went to the second night and it it was actually kind of disappointing because the same bots fought and they had expected with, you know, a greater repertoire of bots there that they would at least be able to see a little something different over the weekend. What are your thoughts on that? That's not very confusing to me. I'll bet that those are the bots that were most ready. I'll bet those were the lighting cues they had programmed in. I'll bet those were the sound cues that were ready to go. You know what I mean? Like they're still building this show um, and all of the different combinations and facets of it that you can put together. So I am not surprised at all that the first two events were literally the same package put out there because that they that's probably what they had ready to go. Um, and that'll expand through time. Whether they say it or not, this is this is a soft open because you can't have anything but a soft open because you're the first live robotic combat event ever really, you know, outside of co- smaller competitions in, in the world, especially on that kind of stage. Yeah. Or, and uh fuzzy Malden's restaurant for a while, <laughs> but yes. Right. Right. Now, how long before, if like, if they're doing this three months down the road, six months down the road, how long before we get concerned? Because it seems like, you know, more intuitively you would want to stack different bots and different fight cards, uh, you know, in, in sequential evenings so that if someone does come and they're a huge combat robotics fan, that they'd be able to see 
potentially 15 different fights over the course of a three-day weekend. Yeah, and also just so you have time to actually do the work on the bots and keep everything Mm -hmm. functional, you're going to want to create a schedule that gives you a lot of variety, right? Because you don't want to use your Taz bot on Thursday you want to or on the Friday night show, you want to save it for the Sunday show um, and and so on and so forth. You know what I mean? Like I know they have five copies of all of these, but they want to probably filter out one bot in a weekend just so they have time to do a major reboot and reset on those bots. Um, you know, they, they really have to think about the maintenance schedule that goes in with all of this as well. And some of the damage they showed on those bots was legit. I mean, that was that was real damage and some of it even structural damage on pulleys on um, different parts that was like, oh, that's going to be that's going to be pretty expensive to fix, actually. <laughs> Do you think it was more damage than they anticipated? I think that they were anticipating exactly this level of damage. I honestly do, because otherwise, why would they say uh, no weight limit? Why would they say that um, we encourage you to use these motors, but you can, you know, opt in for whatever you want as far as how it's driven? You know, all of these things are not limiting the power of the weapon. And I think that they were very careful not to want to limit the power of the weapon. Um, just, you know, focus on durability and longevity, but that, that that didn't mean that those things don't hit hard. Maybe that wasn't smart. Maybe they did need to limit the weapons, but also it's pretty cool that they ripped a piece of whiplash off and roofed it and knocked out a bunch of lights in the first evening. Like that's pretty sweet. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty wild. I do wonder how quickly they'll go through those five copies of each bot. If, uh, you know, already in two nights, they've taken some substantial damage. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see like how many side plates or top plates or, you know, whatever they're going to have to order extra from each bot. Well, custom uh, pulleys. Like that was my right. concern is seeing like a huge chunk taken out of a custom pulley for a belt drive. It's like, well, that's that's not cheap. Like that's a machined piece of aluminum. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot. We'll see. I mean, obviously, this is the like you said, this is the first time this has ever happened. So we have no idea. We we literally have no idea. <laughs> um, all right. And finally, BattleBots does have an active job, the job listing for Robot Builder on their company LinkedIn page for the Destructathon event. They're looking for people with fabrication and engineering experience to work on the growing fleet of Showbots. So far, they have nine active applicants as of Monday of this week. Um, If you are in the Las Vegas area and feel like working on a fleet of killer robots, this might be the job for you, and it can be your job to deal with all of this incredible damage that we're seeing from these early photos. (laughs) Yeah, while we're on the subject, uh, how would you like to move to Las Vegas and eat at an all-you-can-eat buffet every night and sleep on a down mattress? (laughs) That sounds wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. You just have to be awake 72 hours a week to repair uh, a, an unlike nameable amount of possible, uh, you know, hiccups that could be going on in a 250-pound robot. Uh, times <laughs> oh, all right. Now, before we get into our interview with Calvin, which, by the way, stick around for that, uh, our dear listeners have asked some of the, um, shall we say, saltiest questions ever heard on this podcast. So uh, stick around if you would like to hear that. It's a lot of fun, kind of random and really weird, but you'll like it, especially if you know what's going on. Um, So first of all, let's talk about episode five, which aired this past Thursday of BattleBots. We saw Fusion go a full three minutes without catching on fire. Uh, We saw classic grabby bot win for Claw Viper. Double Tap and Doomba's debut fights. Um, We saw huge hits on Blip. 
and beef quote unquote settled uh, in the box. So guys, what was your thoughts on episode five? Well, we have, we have a little bit of insider knowledge, but you know, actually watching the production of BattleBots unfold on television is very, very different than being there in the pits. And it's like one of the things that I absolutely love is watching this, uh, let's call it race for the gold from Claw Viper. And we'll call it just the, uh, the, uh, the immense or the enormous run that huge is on. It's so cool. Uh, seeing some of these bots that were really in the background of the pits while while Lindsay and I were there and while Luke was there and to actually watch it unfold on screen is phenomenal. It is it is such a great season, I think. There's like were some interesting things that happened behind the scenes of this episode. Uh, one of them I want to call out. So Doomba had on their schedule that they were going to be fighting Rusty, which I think was the match that you know <laughs> everyone across America wanted to see. Yeah, how cute would that be? Uh, and you know, just memeable probably till the end of time. And so you know, there were some I think delays from some bots, and production found that they had dead time. And the worst thing that can happen, you know, to a BattleBots production is having dead time because. Um, you know, crews are very expensive and you really have to squeeze as much as you can into the pretty rigorous schedule that they set for themselves. Um, so they went up to Doomba and they were like, hey, are you ready for your fight? And they were like, uh, I guess so. Like we can be. And they're literally, you know, putting their duct taping a chainsaw to the top of a giant Roomba. <laughs> yeah, but also like literally <laughs> like like sticking their sponsor stickers onto their top plate because they hadn't even they that's like they just weren't ready to go because uh, they weren't planning on fighting, I think even that day. Um so they were good sports and they get into the box and they realize they're not fighting Rusty. <laughs> they're fighting double tap. Quite different. Yeah quite different and um and you know by that point like they had to just be all in and they had to go for it um but yeah it was kind of a a big surprise to them and i guess later on um you know production apologized and said sorry if that felt like a bait and switch we just like had to get it to work um but one of the funny things that came out of that was <laughs> Double Tap was examining their bot for damage and they saw that there was like a, a substantial like hit that they had taken on one of their corners and they were trying to examine where it came from and they only in that moment realized that Doomba has an undercutter. <laughs> they were so distracted. <laughs> the chainsaw. The rope-a-dope. Yeah. So the they rope-a-dope them right back. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's. I thought that that was the funniest thing. One of the uh, teammates from uh, Joomba had posted that account on Reddit. And I was like, wow, uh, it's hilarious to me that Double Tap did not realize they <laughs> had I, anything I, other than the chainsaw. This story is absolutely incredible. Doomba is like, oh yeah, I, uh, I'm in the bronze level circuit of the West Philadelphia YMCA Boxing League. And like, I'm pretty proud of that. And then they're like, okay, well, you're supposed <laughs> to fight, you know, Greasy Mike over in in, uh, in, in, in Philadelphia, like, you know, the whatever, the, the shopping district. I don't know Philadelphia that well. Uh, 
But instead, like, we need you to fight this cybernetic, uh, untested boxing robot from the future. Uh, is that cool? All right. We're going to, cameras are rolling in 35 minutes. So let's, let's do this. And that's exactly what happened to Duba. <laughs> Gosh, that's intense. I did not realize all of that. That is really funny and uh, also kind of crazy. Um, wow. Um, yeah. so, so just because we're going to have to address it, uh, what did you guys think about the uh, the controversial fight? Which doctor's controversial win over Fusion? Should Fusion have called um, for a... I love that they called about like called this out in the show that Fusion had that Reese you were had this option to call for like um uh what is it call for the judges to like the review the fight the appeal yeah the appeal yeah but he didn't choose to do it um so what did you guys think about that fight i was very surprised that people found it controversial yeah. uh, maybe maybe it's because i've read the rule book but um what did you guys think uh i think that it is possible hear me out that a fight can be very 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 close Yet mm -hmm. still have a clear winner. Yeah. And yes. that by that virtue does not mean that the show is rigged. Correct. It, Correct. it was incredibly close. That was probably one of Fusion's best showings to date. Not only did it not catch on fire, but yeah. it performed incredibly well. It did a, Yeah, they know, did a ton of damage to Witch Doctor. A ton of damage. Yeah. But uh, by the end of the match, the, it appeared that they were no longer functioning. Yeah, for sure. They were much less immobile than Witch Doctor. That's what matters. If at the end of the fight you ain't yeah. moving and your opponent is, that doesn't look great. Um, I think Reese recognized that Fusion had proven itself as a very capable bot during that fight against a historically very reliable bot. Yeah. So it's like, what else can I do by, you know, putting myself in this scenario where I can ask the judges to reevaluate based on my hunch, you know, the worst, the worst case scenario, uh, you, you lose and you come out like a, uh, like even more like a villain, right? Uh, best case scenario, you win and you come out like a super villain. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I think that recognize that this was like, you know, kind of that three, five breakdown. Yes. You know, they ended up getting the more licks. Uh, I, I lost that uh, that air of control in the last minute of the match. And, you know, there's not a judge in the world that's going to rule this for me in some kind of undecided, uh, you know, a judgment. So, yeah, like, no, I'm not going to play into this, you know, which can just end up being a writing narrative. But, you know, they they won the match and you know, I'll save that potential like, you know, contesting for another day. I, I cannot agree with you more. I also, um, I, I think that if the fight had ended 45 seconds earlier, right. it would have been a different story. I really do believe that. And I can understand why that feels hard for fans of fusion and for the latchy guys in general. But I, I clearly there was a, a pretty distinct winner at the end of that. And Reese was obviously very proud of his performance. There's, yeah. you know, at this point, your job is to impress the selection committee. And a loss to Witch Doctor, where Witch Doctor is so wrecked, they look worse than they did after their tombstone fight, right. <laughs> um, is a pretty good loss <laughs> for the selection committee to review, right? That's that's pretty much the same thing as a as a, a Ribot win. You know what I mean? Like beating Ribot. Um, yeah, I feel like 
yeah, the win or the loss is only a formality at that point. Correct. I think, you know, both bots came out looking uh, extremely destructive and impressive to the selection committee. I think people, you know, maybe with good reason, get like hyper fixated on mm-hmm. wins and losses and records. Yeah. But like those numbers, I to me, at the end of the day, are don't really tell a full story. Yeah. Um, and it's really about who you're fighting and the quality of the match. So honestly, like, Hey, we've seen one in three bots make it into the final round where a two and two does not. Right. So, Hey, correct. Right. Right. Exactly. And I'll say this, Andrea and Mike need to stop going to the judges. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the, the, my big critique of the witch doctor team is they got to stop going to the judges because it always ends up with this stupid controversy. Oh so just stop, just knock them out and then go home. You'll be fine. It's just like for a, to me, a team that does not deserve to like be roped into all these controversies. And it's it's sad because, you know, yeah. to me, they do a lot for the sport. And I think a lot of yep. people just descend on them for you know, their own reasons that, you know, I'll speculate on privately, but it's like, just, it's just dumb. And just, it's, it, it is true. 95% of the, uh, the conspiracies that are born in battle bots come out of judges decisions. It's like, hundred percent. it's like the, the conspiracy of, Oh, this bot literally ripped that one in half in the first five seconds because they, they made that one out of, I don't know, ramen noodles <laughs> For, for good television like those those are the conspiracies that we don't even uh we don't even register it's just like okay we Correct. get it you have way too much time on your hands uh but you know when a judge's decision especially in a close match there's going to be people that feel really passionately one way or the other and that's where conspiracies are born and i and i understand but it's just you know it's also really difficult to be like uh fusion is uh uh, pardon my French, uh, Nicole, but it's a little brick house and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not easy to just kind of bat around. And, you know, that's what happens to even a really seasoned bot like Witch Doctor. Uh, it's not going to come out of there unscathed. And, you know, re- yeah. recent bot have shown that it is now becoming more and more a tested bot. And it's got two very dangerous ends on it. Uh, you know, yeah, and um, those ends are specifically make it impossible to plan for. Everybody's right. got a horizontal setup. Everybody's got a vertical setup. Nobody's got a horde of vertical setup. Like, it's not a thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, aside from that, I want to say that Blip can take, like, a huge amount of punishment and still going and still yeah. go. Uh, I didn't really expect that match to go the full three minutes. I thought huge would win those hits it was so good that was a really those really hits were vicious fight. yeah i loved that and then um i grabby bot nation claw viper beating ribot oh my gosh first of all i was completely shocked by that i thought that it would have been a great match claw viper might have even gotten a suplex in but ultimately they would succumb to the power of the frog <laughs> uh claw viper was a bully i mean they were a complete bully kevin was incredible what great driving. They got like, what, two big suplexes out of it, a bunch of slams. Really impressed with Claw Viper um, in that fight. Totally blew my predictions, and uh, I absolutely loved everything about that fight. Claw Viper, king of the slams. <laughs> <laughs> and they, um, I don't think that this was shown on TV, but um, 
uh, Claw Viper, you know, was able to bring Ribot into the Lexan several times. And one of those times, um, you know, damaged a Lexan panel and they had to pause the day mm. to, to replace um, a piece of Lexan. Oof. So, I mean, you know, don't tell me that, uh, uh, you know, grabby bots can't do damage they can uh by the you know sheer power of your own <laughs> your own weapon being used against you and i think that's badass it is you know it's so interesting watching a a bot that can you know really assert itself as a, a controlly bot an aggressive bot you know we, we get these all the time we see you know overhaul has been around for a very long time we've seen other grabby bots before uh but claw viper i feel like is like kind of the the first maverick fighter pilot of <laughs> the the grabby bot nation and it's just like okay yeah this design can work it can do damage it can control a fight but just the way that Claw Viper is able to capitalize on that incredible speed and control, it's kind of like the, um, you know, it's kind of like the story of of Hypershock in the way that we say that this car is actually driven like an RC car. Yeah. It's, you know, it's very fast. It's very nimble. Claw Viper might be the best driving fast bot that we see right now in modern heavyweight combat robotics. Yep. Yeah. And it's like that kind of balls to the wall, you know, driving style that's showing that they can even go head to head with like a really punishing bot, one that can bring any configuration into the match that it wants. And that is a tried and tested team. That is absolutely, I can't believe how big of a deal this is. They're a top four robot. Robots a top four robot. I mean, like, yeah, I think they were number two in the seed. That is correct. They were seeded number two last year. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, they're incredible. I mean, my bird just made them look silly. Yeah, yeah, they embarrassed them in a, in a lot of ways. That match was like embarrassing for Ribot. They got nothing out of it. It was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> that, and obviously, it, like you know, they shouldn't be embarrassed because Claw Viper is a, right. you know, I don't, but you know, what I was just gonna say is that the embarrassment that might have been felt on behalf of. Ribot is probably equal to the level of surprise <laughs> that the team on Claw Viper felt because, you know, they are like wide eyed after these matches. Yeah, and they're they just are. like, you know, they almost get a sense of like, they're like, I don't even know how this happened. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin's like, so, I got like, it right. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I got it right. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, stumbling into victory. I love it. I love it. It was a great episode, honestly, like top to bottom. Also, uh, we haven't mentioned yet. Sawblaze, it's looking good this season. Yeah, Sawblaze looking phenomenal. I forgot to, yeah. we didn't talk about that. Um, Sawblaze is on a tear. Sawblaze and Huge are the bots that like, I look at them and I say, what a stride. Like Huge showed up and they just look more beefy, more athletic. That weapon is hitting harder than it ever has. Sawblaze shows up and it's like, oh, the ground game just works. They don't even have to think about it anymore. The, the armor package just works. They don't have to think about it anymore. And that arm is so reliable. Like it's just, you don't think of it as a, as a two-part weapon anymore. It's just one fluid motion. It just does what it's supposed to do. His driving is, I mean, it's Jameson Go. His driving's phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Sable's on a tear this year. Um, I think we're going to see- Minotaur on a tear. Minotaur, oh gosh. Well, Minotaur is like, I feel like um, they're, they're like third season or fourth season with a new build is when they actually hit a stride with it. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, they're they're incredible. Those hits are insane. Um, I felt bad for Gary Jin in a lot of ways. Like he is exactly the kind of robot that Minotaur was designed to destroy. Yeah. Giant wheels, yeah. big wide body or long body, like just they're gonna get eaten. That, there's nothing you can do about it. Free shipping might have even had more of a chance if they had that lifter. A little <laughs> like, bit. You know, their classic design. Yep. A little but, bit. Uh, it still wouldn't have been, you know. No. But yeah, great awesome. episode. Man. Yeah, really good really episode. Fun. All right. Um, so this past week, we had 80 people send in predictions. Mm. Just three of them to call uh, managed to call all seven fights correctly. So congratulations to Holly Seabray. Mario Cast and Mark David Pillard, you guys are the best guessers and certainly smarter than a Kyle. <laughs> we had over 20 people get uh, guess six fights correctly. Um, the upset of the week was Claw Viper be- beating Ribot. Almost nobody guessed that <laughs> that, that would happen. Yeah. Um, so congratulations to Team Claw Viper for breaking everyone's bracket. In- including me, yeah. and I was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Um, all right. So with that said, uh, I'd love to get predictions for this week's fight card from our fans. Um, but as per tradition, we should get the Kyle predictions, right? So, uh, Lindsay, <laughs> did you? Hey, Kyle, who do you think is going to win next week? Uh, well, I have the list. Do you want me to go through the list? Well, hold on. I want to give you credit, Kyle, uh, because you called, again, five out of seven fights correctly last week. I did. Which is honestly a pretty good score, I have to say. Uh, only incorrectly guessing uh, Reba and Doomba. Yeah, um, and I did not know that story about Doomba. If you guys had told me that story about Doomba, then I probably would not have guessed them to win because, oh my gosh, how could you go up against a powerful horizontal spinner and not know who you're fighting? That sounds <laughs> terrible. Setting up for a rusty fight means you're going out there with full lulls, not full armor. Yeah. We can't be breaking our NDA, Kyle. If we if we tell you one thing that happens during the season, the police are coming after us. I mean, you're right. Once in a while, I'm just in the shower and I see a laser red dot on my chest. And I know that it's just a Discovery <laughs> NDA agent out there. So like, you have to be extra careful. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Uh, shall we, uh, get your guesses for this week? Yeah, let's do it. I'm in. All right. Let's start with two hard hitters. Jackpot versus Rotator, the hometown boy and the Florida Bot Mafia man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Okay. Okay, Lindsay. This is why they don't let me talk on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say jackpot just because Rotator occasionally struggles with verts. All right. Yes, uh, uh, Chris, you. (laughs) I am filling in Luke's duty of writing Kyle's guesses down in a Google Doc sheet. Uh, All right. Yes. Switchback versus Death Roll. Finally back after a few seasons away. Yeah. Um, this is like, it's so weird because Death Roll really does look old now. You know what I mean? Like they didn't do anything to the bot and it's been two seasons and it kind of looks like out of date. It's so weird how fast all of this progresses. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say Death Roll, but that is, that is not a confident guess. Just walk away. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Big Dill versus Scorpios. Scorpios, period, the Ooh. end. I love Big Dill. I think it's a wonderful bot, and I can't wait to see 
what vertical spinner version of Big Dill does. Um, I'm not even sure if they're going to get that one out for this fight. Um, but I, I can't see them beating Scorpios in any any situation. All right. Now we've got one that has a lot of folks at home scratching their heads <laughs> as to why this matchup <laughs> exists at all. Endgame I mean, it, versus Ripperoni. It makes sense, right? I'm sure Ripperoni's like super low seed and I'm sure Endgame's super high seed. And they try to do the balance of like, you know, two bots that are way higher than you and two bots that are way lower than you in the like they tried. Um, but they weren't able to accomplish it all the way. At least that's what we learned from our dear friends uh, at BattleBots. Um, but yeah, so obviously Endgame's extremely highly seeded. They have won a Golden Bolt and a Golden <laughs> Nut. Uh, and Ripperoni is uh, a bot that has a cool new design and flailed around a lot in their last fight. Um, so I'm good. I mean, the, the logic dictates you go with Endgame on that one. <laughs> Um, okay, so now we have Valkyrie, captain this year by Lucy Dew, and Banshee from Puka winner, or NHRL winner with Puka. Banshee, you again. David Small. <laughs> David Small's the Puka winner, if I've ever seen one. He is the winner. He wins all of the Pukas. Um, so this is, uh, I, I'm going to have to go with Valkyrie because they uh, have a tried and tested design and um, Banshee is, uh, uh, what it, I wouldn't even call it a flipper bot at this point after its last performance. It's more like a little, like, um, like bopper bot it just bops you into the air a little bit. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely gonna have to go with, with Valkyrie. All right. Hijinks versus Captain Shredderator. Um, I'm going to have to go with hijinks. No, 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 I'm oh. not. I'm going to go with Captain Shredderator. Here's why I'm going to go with Captain Shredderator. Uh, there is one design that Captain Shredderator is optimized to fight against, and it's horizontal bar spinners. That's it. That's the one thing that they're real good True. at fighting. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and give it to the cap. All right. And now the main event, a rematch from just last season. So, uh, you know, are we going to have to relitigate this every single season? I don't know. Uh, but here we are once again seeing Tantrum versus Hydra. Yeah. The Rose Bowl of, of combat robotics. <laughs> uh, this is a, um, a very optimized and very functional Hydra with a much more aggressive driving style. Um, and a much larger chip on the Ewert's shoulders. Uh, I'm going to have to give it to Hydra. This is a new tantrum, and it's uh, got a lot of new bot kinks that they're still working out, and it's a really hard second match to work those kinks out in. All right. Well, if you think you're smarter than a Kyle, go to our Facebook page and send us your predictions for next week's fight card. And after the break, our interview with Calvin E. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Calvin Eba. Calvin is the designer and builder of two-time NHRL champion Robot Lynx and driver of the BattleBot Mad Catter. Just at NHRL, Calvin has won three Golden Dumpsters, two Golden Bretts, the best fight of the year 2022, the most fun robot of 2022 with mixtape, and the best driver award of 2022. 
Um, Calvin works as a mechanical design engineer um, and is the driver for Mad Catter, as well as the designer for some key components on that bot. We're looking forward to learning a lot more about Lynx, Mad Catter, controversy, and the championships in the hour ahead. Welcome to the show, Calvin. Thanks, Kyle. Glad to be back. Uh, we're so glad to have you. All right, so right off the bat, um, congratulations to you for just winning Beatles. Uh, you have won more awards in this weight class than literally anyone else on the planet at this point. Um, you even discussed retiring links at the end of 2021 season, but instead you just increased your arsenal of Beatles and weapon types to find even more success in the weight class. So congratulations to you for that. Um, and also congratulations for becoming the first time ever NHRL two-time Beatleweight champion, a nearly impossible feat. The question that we've gotten from the most people, and I just want to kind of delve into that, um, are you enjoying this weight class? Are you considering moving to another weight class? What is your attraction to these three-pound robots? And what is uh, what is like keeping you there as opposed to jumping up to the 12s or the 30s? Yeah, the three-pound class is a lot of fun because the power-to-weight ratio on them is really, really good. And then it's not so light that you're counting grams uh like you know in an ant weight um so that's why i like the three pound class a lot like for example um you know links can kind of scale up and down it's a pretty versatile robot except for the egg beater that gets really really expensive especially at the heavyweight scale yeah but um like the you know a flamethrower like mixtape it would have the same flame probably no matter what scale it's at so that's why it's really cool to do it at the beetleweight scale when the proportions are crazy and you get a ton of fire for how small the robot is. Plus all the other robots tend to be 3D printed. <laughs> and then like with what I did with uh, Sucker Punch with the suction robot, right? Um, that works really well at the three pound scale too because there's a ton of drone propellers and drone motors that are about you know the three pound scale size. And then the robot is still light enough, but has a large enough footprint to make that suction force really effective. Whereas like, you know, a, a small 12 pound robot like Psycho, that footprint isn't much bigger, if any bigger at all than my three pound sucker punch. Right. So I get the same amount of suction force in the three pound robot as I would in a 12 pound robot. So, you know, three pounds with, let's say three pounds of downforce obviously does a whole lot more um, as far as driving improvements go rather than, you know, a three pound downforce to a 12 pound robot. And also just three pounds travels really well. Um, you know, coming from California to Connecticut, it's a, it's always a challenge to get my bags underweight with all the spares and tools I bring. So sticking with three pound robots is, a, is just easier to travel. Interesting. I'm noticing a theme here. You were one of the um, first people to kind of come up with the, or start implementing, I should say, the wagon wheel design, the spoked wheel design, where you've got the cleat stabbing into the floor. Um, you've got sucker punch, which was sucking itself down to the floor. You have spent a, a lot of design and engineering time trying to replicate magnets on a wooden floor, it seems like. Yeah. And also I did, with sucker punch, I did the kind of rotating flywheel, kind of similar to what Ripperoni does. That's right. Um, you know, so I can 
drive better on a wooden floor. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy, actually. All right. So tell us about your responsibilities on uh, Team Bad Kitty on Mad Catter. Um, what I know that you've designed some components on the bot in the past. What are your like? What have been your design responsibilities on the bot the past few seasons? Yeah. So Emmanuel from the Big Dill um, designed most of the chassis and frame structure because he's really good at whipping that out. But yeah, I designed the weapon gearbox assembly. So we used three big end runners um, geared together to power the weapon. I designed the weapon bars. I uh, designed the drive modules. So uh, in the front, we have two 6374 outrunners per wheel. And then in the back, we have a single 6374 motor per wheel. So I designed those drive modules that just drop in the chassis. Um, designed the, the wheels, the beadlock system that we use to uh, secure the tires to the wheels. Designed the side armor. Designed the wedge that we use against horizontals um, that you guys haven't seen yet in, in fights, but it's on the BattleBots uh, homepage. Yeah, designed the, the lifter arm itself. The team did a lot of work with the gearbox before I, I came onto the team. Um, so that's definitely a lot of R&D. And then I designed most of the front-end attachments too. So like the new kitten heels this year that do a allow us to drive really well because they're like, you know, wide and flat um, and glide across the arena really well. Um, yeah, those were my design. They won't, they're not the best at getting under people, unfortunately, huh. but uh, they were an improvement from last year. All right. So you now have, I guess, between this the last season and then this current season, a much higher profile uh, on the TV show than you had in years past. Um, Martin obviously is the captain face of the team, possibly the most um, verbose and loud team captain of all of them. Like everybody knows his style. Everybody knows his, his uh, or oratory abilities. Um, but now you've been kind of pushed forth and the announcers are talking about you a little bit more, you know, you're coming up in a lot more of the conversations was this something your team pushed for or did production kind of decide that they were going to put you as a co-face on the team with Martin Mason? I didn't really know about it until we got there. Um, but I think Marcin, uh, I think Mason did push for it. Yeah, so I, I, I had no idea how much I would uh, you know, be kind of pushed in the spotlight or how much they would feature me on TV. So it's been a pretty cool surprise. That is cool. Um, that is cool. Yeah, you, it works. You are like such a, uh, measured person. So compared to Martin's on-screen personality, it is a great juxtaposition. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, all right. So what was your reaction to literally the greatest video edit of all time of team captain Martin Mason before the fight? What is the BattleBots editorial team doing this year? It's insane. I loved it. But what did you think about that when you saw it? Yeah, I cracked up. I mean, um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. And um, yeah, it's it so funny. Uh, we had to rewind it and, and watch it again immediately after our fight ended. <laughs> it felt like something you would see like on King of Bots, but like amplified 5 million times. Yeah, I mean, 
yeah, it's, it's way past just laser eyes <laughs> or cat eyes. It's is fantastic. <laughs> um, all right, so we do have one question about Mad Catter uh, from Thomas Loom, who says, "If you could change one thing about Mad Catter's design, what would you improve?" Probably improve the front end attachments. It seemed like we were kind of getting stalled and hung up, especially in the whiplash fight yeah. with them. So I think those can use some work, um, but. Other than that, Mad Catter works pretty well. Um, you know, there are design improvements that we do want to make, but it requires a full redesign of the whole robot to fit those. So um, if we were to only change one thing, I think it'd be the front. Yeah. You know, Mad Catter's kind of famous for, you know, being a, a thriftier bot. You guys are, you know, really keep those motors running for over multiple seasons you know you do a lot of repair work that a lot of teams would just throw a motor away you guys keep that stuff and try to repair it and make it keep working yeah absolutely um you know this is just a is this just a question for me like how much longer does uh do you have on like a lot of these components is this are you going to be looking at a full rebuild of this bot soon or is it do you think you could squeeze like another season or two out of these components we would like to transition from being, you know, like a community college student team to be more similar to, you know, your hypershocks and your witch doctors and your saw blazes where, you know, we find big sponsors and, and have more money to work with. Um, and then mm-hmm. we could, you know, buy the nice motors and speed controllers and get more parts outsourced rather than spending hours and hours machining them ourselves. Yeah. So that would be nice, but it all depends on, you know, sponsors and, and money, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. In previous years, we've just run on, you know, a couple thousand dollars a year. Senka Send has been a great sponsor to have, uh, allowing us to, you know, do these kind of full chassis redesigns very cheaply, um, but keep all the expensive components the same. So... Yeah, I think this past year we only spent like six thousand or more, a little more. Um, yeah, we even built a whole new chassis with a completely different drivetrain to test in Houston, um, but that didn't turn out to be any better. So we went back to the old one. Um, gotcha for BattleBots. Um, all right, so we have some fan questions kind of centering around your uh, now suite of Beetleweight bots. Um, so Andrew Freitag, he writes, what's up, Calvin? Any other crazy ideas in the pipeline like mixtape, or are you going to iterate on your current lineup of mixtape, Sucker Punch, and Links for a while? Yeah, so I had this idea where uh, it would be a, a saw blaze, but have a vert attached to the front end of the arm. So Imagine the arm as a teeter-totter. On one end of the, or on the front side of the teeter-totter, you'd have a vert, and then on the back side of the teeter-totter, you'd have the hammer saw similar to saw blades. Um, so the idea was to hit the opponent with the vert and then have them send the arm swinging around you know, with the reaction force of the weapon and then hit them on the top with the hammer saw. <laughs> um, so I did a bunch of math with, you know, a bunch of momentum equations and conservation of energy and dynamic stuff. And it turns out the the opponent would just like fly out of, yeah, it just, they just fly way far above uh, my robot before the 
arm has a chance to swing around. So um, yeah, that, that idea got shelved, but I was uh, pretty, pretty into it for a little while. I mean, I've always wanted to make a droopy clone because, um, you know, me and Tommy talk about a lot about droopy and, you know, different ways of building it. And um, so I think that would be a fun robot to explore as well, just because it's so different than everything else. Yeah, um, let's just talk about that for a second. Is is Tommy coming back with a Droopy ever in the future? Like he seems to have uh, just kind of dropped off, at least on the East Coast scene, uh, for quite a while with that bot. I think the last time he was out here was 2020. Um, so what's uh, what's going on with him right now? I know you guys talk a lot. Yeah, so I've been rock climbing with him uh, recently, which has been a lot of fun. Awesome. And yeah, I've been trying to convince him to come back to Norwalk. Uh, he's been competing uh you know here in socal and i think he went to vegas uh, as well to compete with droopy and i think he won in vegas and won in socal or got close or something um so yeah, he, he's still around still competing um but yeah i'm trying to get him back out to the east coast we would love to have him absolutely um, so Andrew also wanted to say congratulations on getting links so much exposure for beta weights during the last episode of BattleBots. That was awesome. I have to agree. It is always fun when BattleBots kind of acknowledges the greater world of combat robotics. Yeah, it was so cool to see because, I mean, most viewers, when they think of BattleBots or, you know, search for BattleBots on Google or something, they search for BattleBots and that's the extent of their search, right? But, you know, not now that BattleBots acknowledges that there's lower weight categories that are friendlier to enter and cheaper and smaller. Um, it makes people think that, you know, they, they can do that too and they can. Um, so hopefully it will, you know, spread the sport, spread the hobby and, uh, you know, bring more people in. Um, yeah, no, exactly. And I love that they are, you know, they, They've shown golden dumpsters on BattleBots last season. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty cool. That's like all around. I think that's pretty cool to give the sport that kind of exposure, um, and to give you know the due to the builders and designers at those weight classes who really do put in a lot of work that does end up in these heavier weight bots. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it helps you know the applicants for BattleBots kind of just get more experience as well because they'll see like oh you know, this robot was proven as a 12 pounder, or this robot was proven as a 30 pounder or a three pounder. And I think that will really help with, yeah, you know, just the, the quality of their submissions too. Um, all right. So I have kind of a cheeky question from Wes. I think uh, everybody who knows you knows the answer to it, but I'm going to ask it again anyway, because it has to be asked. This is Wes from our discord server. When will Calvin release the Lynx Kitbot and ruin combat robotics for everyone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I have thought about this before, um, but I think it would be like a modular kit. So it would be a basically a Lynx drive base. So a four wheel drive platform that you can add whatever weapon you want on it. Um, so you can, you know, it'd be basically links with a big hole where the egg beater usually goes so you can add like an overhead bar spinner or a lifter or a flipper or just make it a wedge 
or you can add your own vertical spinner. It could be a bar spinner or a disc spinner or an egg beater. That was my idea for a kit. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, it'd be a lot of my own time to design and manufacture all of these parts and off and also offer, you know, customer support for all the parts and answer questions, make build instructions, all of that. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just a lot of work to go into this for arguably a very tiny audience or audience, customer um, base. Yeah. Customer base. Yeah. yeah. And I think Seth does an amazing job at providing parts like this to the combat community. I mean, it's, it's really impressive. Seth Schaefer with Just Cause Robotics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Seth's amazing. Um, JustCauseRobotics.com. Check it out. <laughs> JustCauseRobotics.com for all of your combat robotics parts needs. He even has a kit bot up there now. Yeah. I, I really respect him for that. What was that URL again, Kyle? It was, it's just cause that's C U Z cause robotics.com. Um, and they do have a really cool lifter kit bot that, uh, did very well at the new bots event in, um, in January at NHRL. It was, it's a really cool piece of equipment. I hope lots of people buy it cause it's awesome. Um, all right. So that is it for me. I'm going to pass you over to my friend, Chris, and, uh, we'll have some more fun questions for you. Hey, Calvin, how you doing? All right. My first question here is from Benji Riot, who asks, when will we see more Sucker Punch? Benji goes on to write, it still seems like the most promising Lynx killer to me if all systems can work. Yeah, so Sucker Punch is a is a really fun robot to build and it took a lot of time, especially with how much work I put into the aesthetics, uh, you know, the, the whole like race car uh, bodywork and stuff. Um, and I have ideas for improvement, but it's just been a matter of time and I haven't been able to find the time to redesign it. I want to make it, I still want to keep the car theme, um, but the issues with it were that the propeller on the top, if the robot got hit and changed angle, the propeller would want to stay in the same plane because it's spinning so fast and it's a little flexible. So the route would actually you know, angle up and force the propeller to dive into its own chassis and hit things. So one time the propeller buried itself into the speed controller, got really close to the battery one time. Yeah, all sorts of bad things. So I need to make a new design where the propeller is further away from the robot. So I was thinking of modeling kind of like the fastback Ford Mustang from Bullet. So the propellers, you know, along the back roof line the, the fastback part of the Mustang. And then that'd give me more room to stay away from the electronics and motors and whatnot. And it also looked really cool. And another issue with the original instructor punch was that it didn't self-write. So the propeller has enough force to self-write, but I just didn't allow enough airflow through the robot. So I think if I repackage the electronics a little bit, instead of making everything wide and flat, I kind of bunched things up and made it tall, kind of right behind the windshield area, I could open up a big space for the propeller and for airflow for proper self-riding. So that, oh, and then at Norwalk, the little spokes on the wheels that were supposed to absorb impact shocks, those just sheared off. So I would just make those thicker and then that would solve that issue. So 
I do have a plan for Sucker Punch, but I just don't know when I'll get time to implement those changes. I'm going to go off script here, Calvin. This um, this kind of reeks of evil genius territory. It's kind of like with Lynx, you've, you've developed the most dangerous virus on the planet, but uh, that's not your intention. Your intention is not to dominate by having the most deadly virus, but you're also secretly working on the antidote. And that's, <laughs> and that's, that's kind of like your, uh, your prerogative here. And, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, uh, have you ever been in an eighties movie and have you ever fought Burt Reynolds in real life? Uh, no. Um, I'd say that's a little before my time. Good answer. That's exactly what an evil genius would say. <laughs> All right, I got some questions here from White Yeti, uh, who asks, is it true you've done no improvements to Lynx in the last two years? Pretty much. I've changed the... Let's see, so there's that one Norwalk where I didn't qualify. Um, and then after that, I changed the material of the egg beater. So instead of S7, I changed it to 4140 steel and made it a little softer. But it's the same you know, profile, same design. Yeah, nothing else has changed. I just keep making new parts for it because they get worn out and beat up over the course of an event. But yeah, I just run the same code on my CNC router and parts pop out. Uh, the second question here from White Yeti is, uh, it's, it's a profound one. Uh, so I will try to do it uh, justice here. <clears throat> from White Yeti, a quote from the Academy Award-winning movie Spy Kids 2. Do you think God stays because he too lives in fear of what he created here on earth? <laughs> White Eddie goes on to ask, do you fear the meta links helped create or are you proud of it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, you know, every links clone is a very competitive robot. It seems like, um, <laughs> I just hope that I, I'm far ahead of the curve or I'm, you know, far enough ahead of the curve that I can still win. Mm. But I'm kind of also hoping that someone, you know, makes a better one. All right. I have a question here from uh, NHRL 2022 rookie of the year, Tom Farkas, who asks, what's the plan for coming back to NHRL? So I don't exactly know when battle boss is. And I know Mad Catter is going to take up a lot of my time coming up two BattleBots. So I'm thinking of coming to Norwalk after BattleBots, whenever that is. It could be late in September. Um, and then hopefully I can qualify even in the single elimination bracket. A follow-up question from Tom Farkas, equally as important. Have you ever considered putting googly eyes on Lynx? So Lynx has eyeballs. They're not googly eyeballs, unfortunately. But the... On the side of the robot, there's you know two kind of evil-looking eyes. I think googly eyes just give a different persona that uh, that's not quite Lynx. Do they make evil googly eyes? How is it that every googly eye is round and none of them are like kind of got that aggressive brow? Huh. There's got to be evil googly eyes somewhere, right? No, I don't think so. I think that we need to call AliExpress immediately and get them working on this. <laughs> Okay, uh, third question here from Tom Farkas. Uh, when the fan is at 100%, how much extra downforce does the sucker punch produce? I don't know. It's something that's I haven't figured out how to measure. Because if you 
just stick it on a scale, the robot's just going to suck itself to the scale and it's not going to weigh anymore. Um, so unless I put like three tiny scales underneath, or sorry, four tiny scales underneath each wheel and then make an, another like false floor that... What if you what if you flip the scale upside down? Or wait, no. If you, if you put Sucker Punch underneath the scale so that the air intake actually pulls the weight of the scale downward. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an engineer. Then Sucker Punch would just be hanging <laughs> from the scale and it'd only read the negative three pounds that it's hanging. <laughs> we'll shop this. We'll shop this, Calvin. Don't worry. Same issue, I think. I promise to lend you as much brain power as you need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any like fancy load cells or anything to suspend the robot from and you know, just make it hover over the ground. Um, so I haven't really tested it yet. Have you, have you seen if you can like actually, uh, you know, uh, suck it to you to get like some kind of purple nurple situation? Uh, that'd be terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that that's how science happens in my basement. Just in, in case you're curious. Got it. Got okay. it. I don't go yeah, down but, there. I mean, <laughs> I did, you know, back to the napkin math, the bottom of sucker punch is about eight inches by 10 inches. Uh, Tom's last question. Who's your favorite cartoon cat? Uh, oh, it's got to be Hobbs from Calvin Hobbs. Oh, nice perfect. choice. Wow. I don't think I could have come up with that one that quickly, but that's the correct answer. Yeah, Calvin Hobbs is a great comic. Uh, oh, back to the Sucker Punch thing. Um, so Sucker Punch is about 8 inches by 10 inches. So it's about 80 square inches. And then if you have, if you're drawing like you know, a negative one psi vacuum then that's 80 pounds of downforce <laughs> i don't know how much the fan's actually sucking i could probably use a barometer or something to figure that out but um, it adds up really quick all right i have a question here from steve dufort steve asks uh well first he says always love your attitude on tv at BattleBots and nhrl you are a class act now steve goes on to ask how can links be beat <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Um, well, in the past, Lynx has been beaten by Thunderchild. When in, I mean, it was a very different Lynx back then, but still. Um, so I think, you know, big heavy forks could do a trick. Lynx also gyros a lot. So that was my idea with Sucker Punch was to just drive better than I can with Lynx and get around to the sides. Fully Defined did a really good job of Tearing into links, that was a pretty scary fight. Um, yeah, he did a great job corralling, and then his really thin and fast weapon did a, a number on my side armor. Luckily, he missed all the important parts. So even though it looked, well, I did you know lose a lot of my armor, but all of my wheels kept working. Not a single wheel got bound up or stopped spinning, and the weapon was. Uh, still spinning at the end too. So um, I, was, I was pretty, you know, terrified at the end of that uh, fight, but also very happy and very pleased with my design. All right. I have a question here from Ryder Liangle who writes, uh, let's see, I have to ask about the similarities between Gassy Cat and Mixtape. Both are known for shooting pretty big flames for their small size. And I'm wondering how much of the design is shared between the two. So before Mixtape, Gassy Cat was its own design. Um, Tommy Thomas from our team, he designed it. 
So we used a, a smaller butane canister uh, previously. Um, since Mixtape, we've uh, changed the butane canister to the same one that we use in Mixtape because it works really well on its side. But the the way we actuate the can and the igniter has stayed the same, um, which, you know, the igniter kind of sticks out of the robot uh, by a couple inches. So there's a chance of it getting hit and, you know, breaking. We did have a second flamethrower minibot this year. We called it Bubbles. But it was basically a mixtape module that I was selling to the other BattleBots teams, which is just a simplified version of mixtape. Just the nozzle with the Venturi um, effect and then the igniter. So we had that assembly just stuck on a little robot with two wheels. So that one was obviously much more similar to mixtape because it has the same Venturi nozzle and uh, igniter setup. All right, before I hand you off to Lindsay, I have a series of questions here from Peter Garnash of Repeat Robotics. Peter's first question, are you excited to give the three-pound scene a taste of the full power of Lynx in Seattle? Yeah, Seattle has a really big and uh, very metal-floored arena. Uh, I'm super excited to play that. I fought there once before, um, and it's always great hanging out with the people in Seattle and uh, competing with them. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Very excited to run Magnets again. Peter goes on to ask, when are you planning on taking Lynx International? I mean, I've always wanted to do that, you know, go to England and compete at one of their events or go down to Brazil. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, but I don't have anything, you know, concrete in my plans yet, but I would like to do that. Peter's third question, what are your thoughts on NHRL moving to single elimination? I understand I understand why they're moving to single elimination because the days are very long. You know, I've won events by uh, going undefeated, and I've also won events by losing the first fight and having to work my way through the loser's bracket. So it's going to be tough no matter what, and I think it's going to be even tougher with the single elimination. Yeah, we try not to have 100 Beatles at our SoCal events to avoid this problem. Registration caps are great. They Sometimes they're necessary. Peter kind of wraps up that in some gift wrap with his last question here. If you don't qualify links on your first appearance, will you bring it back for a second bout? Hopefully there'll be time for a, a second appearance if I don't um, qualify for the, in the first one. Um, I don't know when I'll be able to go to Norwalk yet. All right. Well, that's fair enough. I'll hand you over to Lindsay now with some questions, uh, some more uh, fan questions out there. Hey, Calvin. Um, so it seems they have uh, stuck me with a lot of the, let's say, <laughs> maybe more controversial questions. So, um, you know, feel free to, you know, answer or not answer um, to your, you know, your comfort level. Um, but uh, let's let's get into it and take it from there. The first one is from Mary Catherine Carr. Um, so, you know, in this last episode, we saw Mad Catter and Riptide have, you know, their face off. And she wants to know, are there actually any improvements you can see that Riptide has made on the Lynx design for a heavyweight version? 
Or are they just salty that they're finally being officially called out? Uh, uh, presumably she means for, you know, basically scaling up the CAD for uh, links. I mean, I will admit the three pound and heavyweight classes are very different. So, you know, as far as motors go and the layout goes, it's, they are very different robots um, internally. Um, they have two large weapon motors, whereas in Lynx you have one. But that's just kind of a typical thing when you uh, scale things up to a heavyweight, right? In that cutter, we use three motors to run our weapon um, just because it's hard to get giant motors that are robust. And then also it's even harder to find a giant speed controller that will run that big motor. So splitting up things up into multiple motors is pretty typical. Um, so I, I think they did a pretty good job as far as scaling it up. Alexander Archer has a series of questions and this for, you know, they're all very pointed at this particular topic. Um, and he wants to know, you know, why are you convinced Ethan copied Lynx's design to build Riptide instead of innovating his bot with a unique design of his own? So why did, I, maybe you don't have the answer to this, but uh, just maybe what are your general thoughts on the matter? I mean, whenever people want to build a competitive robot, they research and draw inspiration from the most competitive robots at the time. So. Uh, when Ethan was making his Beetle Weight rival, then he modeled it off of Lynx. And that's a totally acceptable thing to do. I mean, I my first one-pound robot uh, was a Tomb Clone uh, because Tombstone was so dominant. So, yeah, it's not like I owned the design and, um, you know, anyone can build a similar robot. So this is Alexander's question. If Lynx is successful at the beetleweight level, why haven't you upgraded it to the heavyweight level? So the reason why Mad Catter doesn't look more similar to Lynx now is because of the sheer price of the weapon when you scale it up. Um, the weapon on Lynx is like four inches by three inches by one and a half-ish. Um, so it's a very small piece of stock. Um, it's, you know, affordable. Um, but when you're talking about scaling that up to a heavyweight, that one weapon will come out to be like three, $4,000 for just one. So on Mad Catter, when we run a budget of, you know, only a couple thousand dollars, that one weapon would be the majority of our budget. And that's like without any spares. Um, so it's just been cost prohibitive, uh, for us to make a heavyweight links. Yeah, that's, that's fair. All right. So this is maybe a, a speculative question. You know, the answer to this, but you can't let on. We're all under NDAs. <laughs> um, how well will Madcatter do against its final fight night opponents, Big Dill and Lockjaw? Did you have, um, a particular strategy going into those fights? We were really excited for both of our fights. We were, you know, hopeful that they would be easier fights than Riptide. Um, and I think, you know, both of the robots are, are way better than we also expected. So, uh, yeah, they're 
They're exciting fights. All right. Alexander's last question is, isn't there a way to prevent future builders from copying the designs of other builders? Um, and as a result of uh, of this latest BattleBots controversy. So do you think, you know, BattleBots um, should be on the lookout more for this type of thing? Or is this just kind of how it goes and it's on, you know, builders to kind of, you know, identify it where it happens? I think in general, BattleBots has done a pretty good job of having the builder that either originates the design or really develop it um, be the one that brings it to BattleBots, such as like Huge or uh, Mammoth with Ricky um, and like, you know, Smee with Joe Fabiani. Uh, I'm sure they get a ton of submissions of similar robots um, that are from different builders. But I think in general, they've done a pretty good job of identifying who would do the best at bringing it to BattleBots. Totally. Um, so we have some questions here from Mario Cast. The first is, if you have to fight Riptide again, without giving away too many strategies, what can Mad Catter do to counter any large vertical spinner like a Riptide or Minotaur's drum? Um, we would transform into a giant droopy and weigh 500 pounds. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's in our pit. It's just laying there. Just kidding. It's not. Um, yeah, I think. I fully support this. <laughs> I mean, on the small scale, the, you know, the really beefy AR500 forks have worked really well, but we tried that with Riptide and it was very hit and miss. So, yeah, we're not quite sure. Maybe we try with an even beefier fork or just take all the front end attachments off and try to beat them tip to tip yeah it's it's a it's a hard fight no matter what yeah um he goes on to say from a sideline viewpoint weapon to weapon riptide has more width to catch more and mad catter's bar is narrow uh is it possible to change to a drum spinner to counter larger spinners like that yeah it's definitely possible it for us it just comes down to cost um, the narrow, you know, two inch wide bar is really easy and really cheap to make from stacked half inch AR500 plates that we just weld together. So it's been really cost effective for us to stay with the, the narrow bar. And I think that's the main reason why, um, it's stuck with our design. Yeah. And I mean, I, I really have to hand it to your team. Like it does not feel... I don't know if you would consider, you know, Mad Catter a budget build, but like you don't give off that impression at all just because of how well it's driven, how big it hits, how beautiful the bot is. I mean, the paint job this season, you know, topped even what it was before, which was hard to do. Um, so, you know, I, I just won't really want to give a lot of props to your team because, um, you know, you would never know that you guys are working on a community college's budget. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, what we don't have in money, we just make up in our time. So, you know, we have a, a great team and they all, everyone puts in a ton of hours into the build to make it, you know, look and perform as good as it does. All right. So we have some uh, questions here 
from Drew Monteith, who starts off with a compliment. Calvin, you are the man. I wanted to give you and Martin Mason a shout out for saying classy in victory and defeat. And uh, I know I second that and, and a lot of the viewers do as well. Um, so Drew goes on to say, I wanted to ask if you ever had plans to scale links to 250 pounds. Uh, and if so, do you think rip off, <clears throat> I mean, riptide has lessened the possibility of your entry being accepted? Thank you, Drew. Um, I've always, you know, I've always wanted to scale links up, but yeah, it's just a very expensive build and I can't just go around breaking egg beaters every, you know, event. So that's why I've kind of stuck with, you know, Ned Catter and how it is. And in the past, I definitely would have considered Riptide a big, um, you know, contributor to BattleBots not accepting uh, a big links into BattleBots just because it would appear like, you know, another robot and it would appear like I you know, just make a, made a duplicate of Riptide. But after this episode, I think it opens up the possibility of, you know, making a robot more similar to Lynx again. I think it's hopeful. I mean, seeing how much, you know, production really, I think, enjoyed kind of leaning into this narrative of, um, you know, Lynx and Riptide. I could definitely see them, you know, if, if you were to build a Lynx inspired bot at the heavyweight level, uh, I think they would happily put that bot against Riptide next season because uh, they're messy and they live for drama. <laughs> All right. So Drew also says, uh, I wanted to acknowledge how hilarious it is when you held up links and said, I designed this robot to be unbeatable and it's a great design to base yours off of. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts about this match and a few members of the Riptide team, but this is a family friendly podcast. So I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, but he does want to know, was that moment planned or was it all in the moment? Uh, that was not planned. I just kind of thought of that on the spot. I'm, I'm ha very happy it came came out okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't stutter or mix up my words or say something completely dumb. No, and honestly, like, I think you came off as you know gracious as as well as someone could in that situation and it didn't seem like you were the salty one it, it, it you i think that you really came off well and uh you know you had the receipts to show for it you had links there um and uh you know i i think anybody you know watching that any serious person would uh you know would think that you um, you know, conducted yourself very well there. So good job, because I don't know that everybody would <laughs> wouldn't be so composed in that situation. Um, so yeah, just uh, well done. Thank you. Yeah, and it's kind of nerve wracking waiting up to this episode because I did not remember what I said in that moment. So uh, I was waiting to hear it on TV too. <laughs> Now, did production come up to you and say, like, hey, you know, we saw you brought links. We want to kind of talk about this narrative. Or was that something that you wanted the show to cover? And, and did you bring it to them? When we got our match lineup, I think they very well knew. Yeah. Uh, when they paired us up. Yeah, that I don't think was uh, was an accident. Um, 
All right, so we have a couple questions here to round us out uh, before we wrap up the show. Uh, this one is from Will Hahn. Any chance of you getting a dubstep promo vid like Martin Mason? <laughs> or is BattleBots just going to keep giving you mad catter eyes? I hope I get a dubstep intro. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm happy with mad catter crazy fire eyes too, but... Yeah, the, the Mason dubstep intro was something else. I just love to think that, like, Martin Mason now has to go back and, like, teach a class the day after that aired. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, to be the students who just saw him in this, like, wild dubstep, <laughs> like, ridiculous uh, video edit. And then you just have to go and, uh, you know, learn physics from him or, or, or whatever he teaches. Yeah, I hope he plays that like every first day of school from now on. <laughs> like, welcome to physics, whatever, or intro to engineering. Um, well, actually, he wouldn't say welcome. He'd just play the intro and then, you know, walk in and yelling and pointing. And yeah, that's that's how I see it. <laughs> 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 like the video plays like he's not even in the room and the students right. are like what is this yeah all the lights are off yeah <laughs> entrance music all right that's a headcanon for me now and that is uh how he starts every semester and i will refuse to believe anything to the contrary <laughs> Um, so we have uh, a couple last questions here from Mary Catherine Carr. The first being, what would a few songs on your ultimate mixtape be? She says, please say Burning Down the House by Talking Heads makes a list. Ooh, so I did make a mixtape uh, playlist on Spotify. So Burning Down the House is on the list. Um, yes! So is, let's see, Burning Love by Elvis Presley. Uh, Great Balls of Fire, <laughs> um, Disco Inferno, Serpentine Fire, <laughs> uh, by Earth, Wind, and Fire, uh, let's see, Fireball by Pitbull, Pitbull. Um, <laughs> Hot in Here by Nelly, uh, Hot Stuff by Donna Summer, what are some other good songs? If you uh, send us the link, we uh, will include it in the show notes. I also promised the listeners that we would include David Small's <laughs> mixtape uh, link for uh, everything inspired by Banshee. So maybe, and I never did that because that's my bad, uh, but he sent me that link. So if you send me your link, I will try and put them both in the show notes. All right, I will do. Cool. Um, all right. A lot of creative people say music gets their imagination flowing. What sparks inspiration for you? Um, I think, you know, I, I, on YouTube, I kind of look around and see different videos of different mechanisms that um, are really cool, like different gearboxes or you know, different linkages or different sort of technologies that are kind of nifty. So those get my ideas going of, you know, how I can translate that into a new lifter gearbox or a new drivetrain. Those always get my brain juices flowing. And I'd also say just seeing new designs at competitions. Um, I love when, 
we have new builders because they always come with these, you know, crazy designs because they're, they tend to be less influenced by, you know, the current meta, um, especially kids, you know, they, they come up with really, really different and cool things. Um, so they always are a source of inspiration. I don't know if you uh, saw anything from J- uh, January's NHRL, but positively hysterical and their like walking mechanism I thought was so cool. And I feel like you could do something neat with that. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, that could work really well for a mixtape. Yeah. I, like their whole like turntable design where they turn. I thought it was super cool how their walking mechanism was independent of their turning mechanism. So, you know, having mixtape be on a turret would work really well for its design. Um, so I thought that was really neat. I love it. I love it. Um, all right, Mary's next question. You likely spend a lot of time on planes going back and forth to NHRL. What's your favorite flight pastime? Uh, I like watching movies. That's a good time to watch movies that you're not particularly interested in, but you kind of had some intentions of watching it eventually. Or I'll, if I'm feeling particularly productive, then I'll you know, bring out my computer and start catting up Mad Catter. Or I know, I think after finals in 2020, after beat, Droopy beat me, beat me twice, I started the, the new version of Lynx. Um, but yeah, those are the main things I do on, on airplanes. Nice. Nice. All right. We have one final question here. It's entirely innocent. There's no subtext to it whatsoever. Um, you know, if you're uh, out in the candy aisle, uh, what's your favorite flavor of lollipop? I'm not a sweets person. Yeah, I'm not really into candy and stuff. But I think citrus is usually my go-to just because it's pretty mild. Nice. And refreshing. Yeah, so like a lemon lollipop or something. Yeah. Well, Calvin, you are our one of our favorite builders for sure. We love having you on the show every single time. Uh, and it's been really great just to, you know, kind of talk through some of the things that have been happening and congratulating you on your big win last year at NHRL. Uh, so thanks again so much for spending time with us. And we can't wait to see you again in the battle box soon. Yes. Thanks, Ooh. Calvin. Thank you. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week we're traveling to the terrifying world of the near future. In the year 2000. In the year 2000! (laughs) Where researchers have built a robot capable of replacing all of the pollinating species of insects and birds we are killing right now with modern agriculture. Researchers of the Light Robots Group at Tampa Ray University have come up with a new design for their project called Fairy. 
Flying arrow robots based on light responsive materials assembly. I don't know if that's quite the acronym for fairy, but I'll let them slide on that. Uh, they have developed a polymer assembly robot that flies by wind and is controlled by light. Uh, quote, superior to its natural counterparts, this artificial seed is equipped with a soft actuator. The actuator is made of light responsive liquid crystalline elastomer, which induces opening or closing actions of the bristles upon visible light excitation, explains lead designer Hao Zhang. This. Can I- someone explain to me what Hao Zhang said? <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> Kyle can. Uh, yeah. So this is, I watched the video of this thing earlier. It is uh, like a tiny little butterfly made out of uh, elastic robot parts. It's um, actually kind of cute. It kind of looks like a glowy, like, um, like seed podling that's flying away from you in the wind. Uh, and their idea is that they're going to sell these things to farms Ooh. to replace the bees. It seems like couldn't we invest... All, all of that money into like making more bees. <laughs> no, Lindsay. Yeah, we already have Come something on, that does this. What do you live in? We need to get advanced <laughs> polymer assembly robots that fly using control, or they're controlled by light, and we need liquid crystalline elastomers yep. in our drinking supply. <laughs> what are you, some kind of hippie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were all worried about microplastics, macroplastics, but what about microelastomers, guys? So are these, that's going to be in our diet here soon? Are these being released into the wild? Like, well, when I'm gardening and like tending to the tomatoes in the summer, am I going to notice like, oh, that's not a bee, that's a polymer assembly robot? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're supposed to be selling these things to farms, oh, right? right? right so, right. Um, in the same way that, like, uh, the the big agro companies sell specific types of seeds or like seeds that are um, like pesticide resistant or whatever, weed whacker resist or weed weedicide uh, like resistant to these farms. Those those like corn stalks will show up in other farmers' land, and then those farmers will get sued for stealing like copyrighted um, material from like these big agro companies. That's pretty wild. Um, so yeah, it's very wild. So I can imagine that this would end up being the exact same thing, right? The the local organic farmer who sells his stuff at the farmers market uh, is going to end up with these things flying around their crops and pollinating stuff. And then they're going to get sued by these giant agro companies for stealing their, um, light activated polymer robots. And uh, that are just in the wild that are just like in these farms doing the job that bees used to do or hummingbirds used to do. Give it 15 years. Monsanto will get out ahead of the, uh, of the problem and they'll just have it so that those farmers crops self-destruct, uh, before (laughs) harvest. (laughs) And thus give the opportunity for their adjacent uh, neighbor farmer to move in and usurp their land and probably their entire family. Oh, good. Yes, that is this is the future that we all asked for. I love it. Think of the shareholders, Kyle. Uh, what I will say is the the bot itself is cute. Um, it's light blue. 
Does it look like a bee? It, no, it looks like a little teeny tiny butterfly. It's cute. Aw. It's really cute. Uh, we're lulled. We've been lulled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's called a fairy, and it looks like one. Hmm. I don't trust it. <laughs> oh, fairies are evil creatures in mythology, right? Just saying. Yeah, I mean, totally. They'll steal your face and replace your baby. Uh, and that's about it for us today. We want to thank Nicole for editing this week's episode. Thank you so much, Nicole. You do such a great job. And we'll be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye.